Okay, if you'd like to grab a seat, grab your Bibles. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at uh, some of the ways that Jesus uh, came to redeem, he's come to transform our, our whole lives. And uh, we've attempted to look at the problem of pain. Uh, we've tried to look at uh, the impact of our past. We've, we've touched on some of the ways in which the Lord would have us um, dig around beneath the surface of our lives. And then last week we were looking at how we press into how we think about living our lives in brokenness and vulnerability. So all really, really fun stuff. Uh, and to be honest... <clears throat> Uh, it's not been an easy series so far, uh, not least for me. Lots of you have been very generous, and you've sent me encouraging emails, so thank you uh, for that. But I know that um, this isn't easy. I know that uh, while many of you are maybe loving this series, I know that there are equally as many who are finding it a bit tricky for a whole range of different reasons. But hopefully one of the things that we've seen over the past few weeks as we've looked at this is that we are all on uh, a journey, a journey of becoming more like Jesus, a journey of becoming more of the way that God has designed and intended uh, for us to be. And this metaphor, if you like, of the journey of faith is, is pretty much one that's written on every single page of the Bible. And this image of the Christian life as a journey, it really effectively captures our experience of what it's like to follow Jesus like a um, few others. Uh, journeys, when we think about journeys, they involve movement and action. There's, there's all sorts of stops and starts in them. There's detours, there's, there's delays. There's this whole thing of entering into uh, the unknown. And when you read through the scriptures, you see the story of the journeys of the men and women of faith. God calls Abraham to leave his family and his past. And he's something like 75 when God invites him into and onto this journey. Moses gets called from a burning bush. He's something around the age of 80 to go and start this new season in his life and to go on a journey of faith with God. God calls the Israelites, the men, the women, and children to leave Egypt and to go on this 40-year journey of personal and cultural transformation in and through the, the desolation and the desert of the wilderness and into the promised land. Rahab goes on a journey. She's invited into a journey with the people of God, and her journey begins by hanging a scarlet thread out of her window. Deborah is invited onto a journey with God as a leader, as a judge, as a prophet, and God uses her to bring freedom to God's people. David gets called to leave behind his life as a shepherd, to go and fight Goliath, and, and embarks on this journey that will lead him to uh, serve as king of Israel. Mary, she's a seriously, seriously young Girl, She gets invited into the most remarkable journey of faith to be the one chosen to bear the Son of God in her womb. Jesus calls the 12 disciples to leave their livelihoods and change their lives forever to go on a journey with him. There are journeys literally on every page of the remarkable book we call the Bible. And um, you are on a journey and so am I. And if you've been following Jesus for any more than five minutes... And certainly, if you've been following, following him for, like me for um, over 
35 years. Um, yeah, which is hard to believe, I know. But um, you will know that this journey of faith is anything but plain sailing. Now, if we're honest, we all want our spiritual lives to be like an upward journey uh, of, of, of growing closer and closer to Jesus and becoming more and more like him. Uh, we want to both feel that kind of sense of continued improvement, and we want to see it reflected in our life's circumstances. But the reality is growth doesn't happen in straight lines, uh, nor does our experience of um, increasing intimacy with Jesus. Like any journey, our journey of faith goes uh, up and down. It kind of goes backwards and forwards. It seems sometimes to just go round and round. Uh, ultimately, though, over time, the hope and the goal is that we steadily move forward as we become more and more Christ-like and are transformed into his image. And this morning, by way of a bit of light relief, <laughs> uh, it's not light relief, um, I thought we'd spend some time reflecting on just where we might find ourselves this morning on this journey with Jesus. Where are we on our journeys with Jesus? Whether things right now are going incredibly well or whether right now we're finding things very, very challenging. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Uh, before we get to the text, first let me tell you a story. I need to just blow my nose because otherwise I'm going to sniff. So... Excuse me. You, you, don't, you don't want to hear me just like sniffing all morning. Um, before we get to that, uh, let me tell you the story of, of a, a woman called Agnes. Um, from the time she was a, a young girl, Agnes, Agnes not only believed in Jesus, but she was like literally on fire for Jesus. She wanted to do these great and amazing things for God. She said that she wanted to love Jesus uh, in a way that Jesus had never been loved uh, before. Uh, she had this undeniable calling on her life. She wrote in her journal about how her soul was at perfect peace, at perfect joy. She experienced some kind of union with God that was so deep. It was so continual that for her it was like rapture. It was like an ecstasy. Uh, she left her home. She became a missionary. She gave up everything to follow Jesus. After a while, however, uh, it felt like to her that God had abandoned her. That's, that's how it felt to her. She started writing differently in her journey, and she started, uh, in her journal, she started writing things like, what's happened uh, to my faith? At one point she wrote, uh, deep down, there is actually nothing but emptiness and darkness. Oh God, why is this so painful, this unknown pain? I feel like I have no faith. Uh, she struggled to pray. She, she carried on serving. She carried on working. She carried on smiling. But this inner sense of feeling lost, it just carried on year after year. And for Agnes, it went on for nearly 50 years. Uh, and during most of that, not all of that, but most of that time, God seemed absent to her. It felt to her as if God had abandoned her. She felt like everything that she'd believed as a young follower of Jesus just no longer applied. It no longer made any sense, and she was left feeling confused, uncertain. She was desperate, and she was lost. That was the secret pain of Agnes. 
who of course is better known to us as Mother Teresa. Uh, she wrote journals, she wrote letters to her spiritual directors and letters that sort of reflect some of the torment of her soul, the kind of struggle that she was going through. And after her death, her letters were published and a lot of people were stunned by them. A lot of people read them and said she must have lost her faith. Other people read them and said, well, she must have been struggling with clinical uh, depression. Spiritually, I think what was going on is she'd encountered uh, what St. John of the Cross famously called the dark night of the soul. And, you know, as we uh, today, with the benefit of hindsight, we look back on it and we say, well, you know, God was doing this mighty work in and through her. And it was arguably this very season of challenge and pain that made her the remarkable woman that she was. That she was. Uh, but this is not unfamiliar territory for some of us here in this room. In my conversations with some of you, uh, some of you feel like you're uh, in not uh, too dissimilar a place. Uh, possibly it's brought on by some really difficult circumstances that you're having to deal with um, and challenges that you're facing. It could be possibly the death of a loved one. Um, it could be the breakdown of a relationship. It could be a diagnosis. Uh, that feels like it's beyond a solution. Maybe it's just a series of disappointments. But um, these things and more um, can sometimes be the trigger for what we might experience as the dark night of the soul. And when I'm talking about the dark night of the soul, what I mean is that that feeling that we have is that God is just not hearing us anymore. Uh, that our prayers... Um, when we have the courage to pray them, just are seemingly unanswered. On the occasions that we try to pray, it feels like we're just talking to ourselves. The scriptures have become suddenly dry and unyielding. Where they used to make sense, uh, they no longer do. Even church, you know, which used to feel like a place of coming home. It felt like a place where we belonged. Suddenly it feels a little bit sort of awkward and uncomfortable. I'm not entirely sure um, why I'm here. Worship. You know, which at one time felt like this place of abandonment and joy. It sort of feels a little bit interminable. And it's sort of designed, surely, for everybody else, but not for me. What are we to do when we, if and when we feel like that? Well, um, first of all, I just want to say, if that's you, and you're here this morning, um, it's okay. It's okay to be in that place and it's okay to be in this place it's okay to feel like you don't know which way is up uh, and in fact not only are we glad that you're here while it may not feel like it to you I, I believe you're actually in the perfect place by being here this morning but what do we what do we do when we are confused about our faith or uncertain about what we believe or feeling like God is no longer the same God that we pursued with a passion when we were first uh, believers? How do we continue with the Christian faith when we feel like we're living with what feels like to us like just like too much uncertainty? Well, um, right throughout the Bible, across church history, men and women of God have they've written about the various seasons and the stages of our journey of faith. And these various seasons and stages of the journey help us actually, when we reflect on them, to see the bigger picture of God's work in our lives. But uh, this morning, let's try and see if scriptures can help us at all. So if you've got a Bible, tell me it's Acts chapter 1. 
This is Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, uh, I wrote about all that... His book wasn't called Theophilus. He was just t- talking about a trap called Theophilus. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Verse 10, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside the men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, um, this first chapter of Acts is sort of a record of the last face-to-face conversation that the disciples have with Jesus. They've asked him a really crucial question in in verse 6, and it's this. It's, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And there's something about that question that I think lies very much at the heart of many of the questions that we are still asking today, especially when we find ourselves living with uncertainty. You know, as we work to reconcile our current experiences with what we believe that, what we know that God has done in the past, and we hope that he will be doing in the present and certainly in the future, we ask, God, are you at this time? God, are you at this time going to heal me? God, are you at this time going to bring me freedom from this thing that I've been battling with? God, are you at this time? Now, before the crucifixion, these same disciples they were pretty much in the dark about what was really going on. You know, they'd been with Jesus every single day for the past three years. They've had him with them. Jesus had been walking with them, teaching them. They'd been in relationship with them, but they hadn't really grasped anything. They hadn't understood anything if, uh, at all, really, about Jesus' coming death and his resurrection. Uh, on the road to Emmaus, after his resurrection, Jesus appears to some of the disciples, and what he does, he connects the dots between the Old Testament and his death in Luke uh, chapter 4. But um, as we all know, they just, they're just fantastic. They just don't get it. And so often, neither do we. So it makes perfect sense that these same disciples would be wanting a little bit more clarity about what's coming next. And we want that same clarity all the time. We want answers. We want the inside track. But do you see how Jesus responds to their question? Jesus basically says, wait. And then he disappears into the sky. It's like, that's not what I had in mind. I was hoping that you'd give me a little more than disappearing. And these guys are left hanging there. They're literally just 
standing. They, they have absolutely not a clue as to what's going on. Now, I wonder how long they stood there, literally just staring after Jesus into the sky, you're sort of scratching their heads and wondering what on earth they're supposed to do next. Uh, hello, does anyone know what we're supposed to do now? You know, I'm sure they're just wondering what they're supposed to do because they've got this cryptic response from Jesus, you know, as to their, to their question of when the kingdom would come. Jesus just says, well, it's not for you to know the dates and the times the Father's set. You're, like, you're really not being very helpful right now. Jesus, throw me a line. These disciples, you've got to remember, they've been utterly spiritually dependent on Jesus during his earthly life. They'd had this incredible intimacy, this intimate relationship. And, and to all intents and purposes, what's happening right now is it appears and it feels like he's abandoned them. He's just left them staring longingly into the sky and they're hoping that he'll come back, but not at some you know, predetermined time in the future. They're hoping he'll come back like now, like straight away. It's just a quick flash visit to heaven, but he's going to come straight back. His presence, he's going he's to be right back. We'll just stay here. We won't do anything. We'll just, he'll be back. It makes complete sense to me that they're just staring up after him, you know, with this confusion and concern on their faces. And they, they actually need the angels to tell them to stop straining their necks after him. Imagine how it felt for these guys. You know, Jesus has told them in John 14 you know, that he would not leave them as orphans. He said that he's going to send an advocate, a counselor, a comforter, whatever your version of the Bible says, uh, so that the, that, part, that the Spirit of God would come and remind them of Jesus' teachings and equip them in this incredible way. But right at this moment, all that it feels like has happened is that Jesus has gone and, and no, no one else has come. And there's something about that, this moment that reflects where we find ourselves today. We kind of find ourselves today meditating on the ascension, sharing with the disciples our own questions of how is this thing going to actually work? How is the kingdom of God going to manifest itself fully? And when actually is Jesus going to return and make all things right like he promised? And when our expectations of life as followers of Jesus, when the circumstances of our lives, when things don't just fit with how we thought God was going to do things, how we thought God's kingdom was going to come, it's not surprising that we sort of metaphorically find ourselves staring up into the sky wondering what on earth is going on with God's plan. And as we contemplate the disciples' confusion as they are waiting, I think what we find here is some context for our own uh, moments of struggle. How do we get through these seasons in our lives where we feel confused or stuck or living with um, too much uncertainty? These, um, these dark nights of the soul where we feel like Jesus has literally just floated off into the sky and we are left standing, looking heavenward, straining our necks in the hope that he will come back and that everything will once again be like it was before. Because we liked it as it was before. Let's go back to how it was before. It was so much better. What are we supposed to do when our faith no longer feels like it works? What are we supposed to do when we feel like we've got more questions than answers? 
Well, something we might find helpful, uh, you might not, but anyway, um, is how the ancient writers uh, in the scriptures and through church history talk about these, um, this idea of two basic uh, recurring movements of God in the journey of faith. And, and one is what we might call, sometimes we call them like spiritual peaks. You know, these kind of high moments, uh, moments of consolation. And the other is kind of like spiritual, the opposite is kind of like spiritual valleys. These kind of spiritual lows, what we might call um, desolation. Um, consolation, consolari is with comfort. Desolation is desolare, which is um, being left alone. And both of these things, the consolation and the desolation, seem to be, when you read the scriptures, you read the stories of the men and women of faith, when you read through church history, they seem to be staging posts on the journey of faith. And so up until the ascension, Jesus has been with the disciples, and he's been physically present with them day in, day out. And as we've just read, now he's returned to the Father, and now there's this dramatic shift in their relationship with him. Uh, still present in and through the Holy Spirit who was to come at Pentecost. But the disciples are very much in this moment feeling desolation. They are feeling like they have been left alone. Now, consolation, from what I can tell, it just refers to those times where we really sense, you know, we really feel God's presence. It's really, God's presence feels really tangible to us. We, we sense him. We sense that we're blessed by him. We sense that we're encouraged by him. This is when we're praying and we're worshiping in our prayer and our Bible study, our fellowship. Everything is just going great guns and uh, we're loving it. We're, we're aware of God's nearness and his dearness and we know and we're experiencing that consolation and we love, we love it. It's like, oh, this is oh, it's lovely. Desolation, on the other hand, refers to a season or a time where God feels absent. And we might seek God through the same ways. You know, we read our Bibles, we pray, we go to church. But we don't feel God in the same way. We don't feel like we're experiencing his blessings in the same way. And so we pray, and it feels like, or it seems like to us, that God isn't really hearing us. It feels like, you know, the... the the ceiling is lead. feels really quiet. Our, our spiritual lives become uh, dry and dusty. Um, we're even more bored listening to sermons, uh, if that's possible. You know, we're, we're, we're just not motivated to pray or to spend time with God. It, it's just, it doesn't feel, uh, I'm, not, I'm not feeling this. And just in case we jump to the wrong conclusions about going through a season like that, these seasons of desolation, these things happen to people who are fully committed to following Jesus. Okay, this isn't a reflection of your sort of your, your, your uselessness as a follower of Jesus or your, your badness. Um, people who are passionately committed to following Jesus, who want to spend time with him, who serve him active, actively, these people too can often find themselves feeling like they're going through a season where it's dry and empty in their spiritual lives. In fact, sometimes these are the very people who experience this kind of season of desolation. Um, desolation is the psalmist crying out again and again, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long, O Lord, will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Psalm 44, why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? Psalm 69, do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly for I am in trouble. And on and on and on it goes with endless examples. In the 16th century, St. John of the Cross described these kinds of intense or prolonged desolation experiences as dark nights of the soul. Now, of course, it's human nature for us to want more consolation from God and to avoid desolation at all possible costs. And if we ever find ourselves in a season of desolation, that we want to get out of it as quickly as possible. You know, consolation is this time to be strengthened and empowered and, and, and to feel like we're, we're growing in our trust and our faith in God's goodness. And these seasons help us grow. Desolation tends to discourage us. It tends to just confuse us. We tend really not to know how to deal with it at all. We'd rather taste and see that the Lord is good than wrestle in and through a dark night of the soul. Why would even God like, want us to experience desolation? Like, why wouldn't he just keep giving us like, more and more consolation You know, the more we seek him? Uh, to be honest, I have no idea. Um, all I know is I wish he wouldn't do that to us. I wish he wouldn't allow me to have seasons of desolation. However, when you just read through the journeys of faith of the men and women of Scripture, you read the stories of men and women through the ages, and it's there time and time and time again. And more often than not, as I said before, it's the very thing that these people would reflect upon and say, actually, that was the very making of me, that season in my life that was so brutal, that was so painful, where I didn't know where, where, which way was up. So do I have some encouragement for us in and through these difficult times? Have a look at Acts uh, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 4. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. Um, in these seasons of desolation, um, there's an encouragement to wait. A, these are seasons of waiting. And the invitation of desolation, and it is an invitation, is pretty much a season of waiting. And during that season of waiting, as we just sit in the presence of God, as we spend time in God's presence, maybe not feeling like we're doing very much, maybe not feeling like we're contributing very much, maybe like we feel like we're not bringing very much to the table, uh, but just sitting in it and waiting through it, God does something to um, bring areas of our lives into his light and his love. At, at these time, times, God is often inviting us to look into our hearts and to see what is actually coming up from the depths of who we are. The Lord in these seasons is often searching our heart. It's like David in Psalm 139 when he prays, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When we try and pray in these times of difficulty and uncertainty, um, it's hard. But actually, honest prayers are the best. Honest communication with God is the best way in this season, whereby you're saying, what has happened? What's happened to my prayer? Where am I at? Where, where did my faith go? Why am I so distracted? Why do I not want to spend time in your presence? 
and, and struggle through that as you wait on the Lord. Because in those moments of quiet reflection, the Spirit of God is at work. He is performing a very, very profound and deep heart surgery on us. And he's actually taking us into a deeper relationship with him. He's deepening our relationship with God as Abba Father. He's deepening our relationship with Jesus as Lord. So that we know that even in the midst of desolation... Even if we don't feel God's love as much as we want to, we know in faith that God is still present with us, that he's caring for us and teaching us, and he's actually nearer than our very own breath. No matter what we may be feeling, this waiting season helps us to see actually that the Holy Spirit is deep inside us. And he is helping us in our weaknesses. And all the way through, he is praying for us, helping us learn about ourselves and growing us uh, and leading us into uh, increasing intimacy with our Heavenly Father. Uh, A second thing is perseverance, uh, verse 5. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes during these seasons, as we see here from Jesus' words to the disciples, God is actually challenging our assumptions about what we think the kingdom is looking like and what we think the kingdom should look like. Because we're very prescriptive with God about how the kingdom should manifest itself. Uh, Clearly, God has other plans, and they are way beyond the very most creative and very best plans that we could have here. So here you've got this promise of the Holy Spirit. This is a perseverance. You look, John came and baptized with water, and we look back and go, well, we want more of that. It's like, no, 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 no. Wait, persevere, push on, because actually there's something better coming. In a few days' time, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Maybe in this season, God is wanting to reveal to us that he is doing something different that maybe he's actually doing something even better and even richer than we could ever even hope or ask or imagine. There's an invitation being extended to us in and through these seasons to persevere in our waiting. God always has something good in store. He is a good father. Even if right in that moment we can't see it or understand it. A third thing is is faith. Verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. One thing we know for sure is that when we're going through a season like this is um, that what's going on isn't always clear, like at all. And most importantly, these seasons feel very, very unsettling. And the ability to feel things, like to feel emotions, like that's one of God's gifts to us. And it's really important that we are aware of our feelings. But if we are overly reliant on having good feelings, it can get us into a bit of hot water. You know, um, we want to feel better all the time. We think that we should be able to feel like high and great all the time, legally, of course. Um, we, uh, we take this into our worship, you know, so we're like, when we come into worship, 
sometimes we, we blur the lines, I think, between um, are we here worshipping God or am I here uh, worshipping the sort of positive feelings that I'm getting out of this shared experience? Um, times of desolation help us work out if and where our love for God is dependent on us feeling his blessings. Seasons of desolation um, help wean us from depending on having the feeling of God's presence in order for us to love and serve him. It's desolation that teaches us to look for God beyond our feelings and to develop a way of knowing God, deepening our relationship with God in such a way that our relationship with him is constant, irrespective of what and how we're feeling. Uh, Thomas Merton put it well when he said this. He said, God, who is everywhere, never leaves us. Yet he sometimes seems to be present, sometimes absent. If we do not know him well, we do not realize that he may be more present to us when he feels absent than when he feels present. We do not realize that he may be more present to us when he feels absent than when he feels present. Last thing is hope, um, verse 11. The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. One of the things that we all need uh, to get us through these seasons is hope. Uh, We need the hope that comes from fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We need the hope that comes from being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses encouraging us and cheering us on through the midst of our challenge. Um, One of the difficulties and one of the challenges during times of desolation, again, in the church, is that we, we tend to feel bad about our times of struggle. We tend to feel like uh, I'm stri- I feel like I, I'm not experiencing or encountering the presence of God in the way that I used to. Therefore, I must be a, I must be a bad Christian. I must be not very good at this following Jesus malarkey. Everybody else seems to be just like high as a kite all the time. Like they just seem to encounter and experience God's presence. Like they just go ping, and God's like, wow, and it's amazing. I have feel nothing, nothing at all. Yeah, nada, nothing. And because we feel so sort of ashamed about that, we can't tell anyone. It's like, yeah, well, I'm really experiencing God. Well, I don't feel God at all. That's not an easy thing for us to share in our small groups. But that's exactly the sort of thing, again, talking about what we were talking about last week, about living in brokenness and vulnerability, that's exactly the sort of thing that we have to be sharing. Because what we try and do is we try and hide our lack of feeling connected with God. We try and hide it both from God and we try and hide it from one another. But when we take the courage to share honestly and vulnerably with God and with one another, what we do is we open ourselves up, hopefully again, uh, to the compassion and the grace of God uh, that we need. And uh, you know what? It's a really important part of how we grow in our journeys of faith, in understanding, looking at one another and the different stages of the journey that we're all on. Uh, You may be in a season of consolation, but it's a good idea for you to get to hang out with someone who's in a season of desolation. Because when you find yourself in a season of desolation, you can have learned and been equipped by those who are on a different point 
of the journey uh, from you and vice versa. It's an important part. This is an important part of how we grow in our discipleship to Jesus and are formed into his image. And it's why our conversations with one another, um, they need to be intentional. They need to be safe. They need to be uh, honest and open. We need to be able to um, intentionally share about our consolations and our desolations. This is at the heart of what it means for us to be an authentic community because there can really be no spiritual growth without us honestly wrestling through the reality of these seasons in our lives. When we are going through the stress and the pain and the hurt and we don't know what part our faith has to play in it all anymore, that is very real. And we need to be honest and open about that. The Bible is full of encouragement for us to help us deal with these times of uh, desolation. You know, we have the models of our heroes uh, of the faith who've endured times of desolation. They've, they've trusted God. They've loved God in the midst of the darkness. Some have dealt with it better than others. But, you know, you look just off the top of my head, David, Job, Jacob, Joseph, Naomi, um, Hannah, Jeremiah, uh, Paul, even Jesus. Even Jesus, Jesus experienced the same sense of desolation from the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus himself journeys through the the pain and the suffering, that feeling of abandonment that for him was so great, it took him even to death. But... In the midst of that, what is going on moment? What is God's plan right now? This feels terrible. This is literally killing me, says Jesus. In that moment, the mystery of the cross is so great and so profound that it becomes the way in which God brings his redemption to the whole of mankind. Through a moment of desolation. God's redemption comes. Over the course of our journey with God, we we flow back and forth between um, consolation and desolation. And these movements of God, they're like waves um, in the sea, in the ocean. They kind of rise up and they come in, they they come down, they crash to the shore, and then they sort of uh, roll back out again and get churned up and recycled and cycled up again and come back in. And it's sort of like the way that we breathe. These are the rhythms of our lives. We breathe in oxygen, we, we exhale carbon dioxide, and it's this constant in and out of consolation and desolation. It's kind of like receiving and release. Um, and it's so that we can be strengthened to face the difficulties and the challenge of some of our journeys of faith. So that we can be emptied. So that we can then be filled and receive new and abundant blessings from God. This is a rhythm of the journey of faith that we need to recognize and accept in our own lives and in the lives of the people around us, not only because it's um, bound to occur, uh, but because I believe it's ordained by God um, and can be good for us. It's, it's God's love for us. And it's, a, it's hard, I get that. But it's God's love for us teaching us how to follow Jesus through the good times and the bad. And somewhat bizarrely, as we begin to 
appreciate the kingdom of God in our midst and perceiving and seeing the kingdom of God through different lenses and through the different experiences that we've encountered, we actually begin to discover that our experience of desolation is in actual fact God's consolation. So, uh, if you're in the midst of what feels like a dark night of the soul, um, can I encourage you this morning that you are in very good company? Um, you're in the company of Christ Jesus himself. Um, wait. Let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to wait and see what the Lord is doing. Let me encourage you to uh, persevere. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Keep walking in faith. Keep hope alive uh, in your heart that God is actually at work, even if you can't quite see it, even if you can't quite perceive it, even if you don't feel it, even if you don't understand it, that God is at work bringing the kingdom of God um, right in your midst, right at your fingertips, and right before your very eyes. Why don't you stand?